All right. Well, this week uh, we come uh, to uh, a very interesting passage in the book of Acts. And, uh, you know, one of the things, uh, this is a good place to say this, uh, and that is, uh, you know, what was Luke trying to communicate when he wrote this, uh, when he wrote Acts? It's important for us to uh, learn right from the get-go, and uh, I might have said this before, I perhaps, that he didn't just write it to give us a history. It's not just a history book, right? Uh, he gives us history of what took place, but he's communicating a number of different things. For example, one of the things he's communicating is the beginning of the restoration of Israel, right? Uh, not just this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. No, he's communicating the beginning of the restoration of Israel, the fulfillment of the, uh, the, the promises uh, made to our ancestors, the beginnings of that. And so he writes it in a certain way, okay? He's also uh, communicating the message, and that's something that we don't appreciate enough. He's communicating the message, the, the, the message of Yeshua, the message uh, that, that the message is Yeshua and the message that Yeshua uh, taught. Uh, in the uh, speeches of, uh, of uh, Peter, in particular, that we've been covering so far. Uh, he's also uh, communicating how the early Messiah followers uh, manifested the presence of Yeshua in, their, uh, in the community. Okay? Uh, and he speaks a little bit in ideal terms of you know, they were of one heart and soul. I don't know if he took a poll of every single person that was there, you know. But he says in general, they were one heart, one soul. And, uh, and uh, you know, they were caring for one another. Uh, as we read in uh, verse 32, for example, of uh, chapter 4, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, right? And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, and all things were common property uh, uh, to them. And so, you know, he's uh, pointing out in this uh, messianic uh, Jewish congregation, uh, in this first uh, spirit community, organic spirit community of Messiah, this is, how, uh, this is how it functioned, okay? Another thing that he is communicating is how Yeshua is uh, alive, how uh, Yeshua is alive and he's manifesting himself through the ministry of the apostles, okay? How he's manifesting himself through the ministry in particular of Peter at the beginning, okay? Uh, and uh, so he does this in a number of ways. He does this through the preaching of Peter. He does it through Peter healing people. And as we've said, this is the manifestation, the, the pouring out of the Ruach, you know, and uh, uh, and uh, the initial uh, beginning and at the beginning of chapter two, that this is uh, how, uh, you know, the, the proof that Yeshua is alive. You thought he was dead, but no, he's alive. And we've talked all about that. So today we're going to talk about uh, another uh, development here. And that is uh, another way that, in the, especially in the very beginning, how uh, Yeshua manifested himself, uh, that, that he was alive, uh, as well as the authority of Peter, uh, you know, uh, and uh, the, uh, the presence, 
not only that Yeshua is alive, but that Yeshua is present in the community. Not just in Peter, but he's present in, in the community. Okay? Now, this is one of those passages that we really don't like, personally. You know, when we think of, you know, it's not one of these things where, hey, this is, uh, you know, uh, some wonderful things are taking place. And, and when I say don't like, I mean it's a difficult passage. Because there are many people that would say, how come it's not like it was in the book of Acts? Be careful what you pray for. Okay? I, I, the, the purpose, one of the purposes of our passage for today is to uh, maybe make the little hairs on the back of our deck stand up uh, and to check ourselves. You know, because there's certain passages that, I don't know, there are certain passages when I read them in the Bible, they make me uncomfortable. You know, I'll tell you one uh, that's uh, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Like here, here's a great devotional passage to make us all feel fuzzy and comfortable. Okay. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. This is verse 18 of Matthew 7. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, all you who practice lawlessness. I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you know, I, you know, you serve, you, you, you uh, share the good news, maybe you lead people to Messiah, uh, you, uh, uh, you know, participate in a service and all that. How could it be? right? Because see, God knows what's on the inside, right? He knows what's on the inside. And we might, certainly, it's a human thing, but definitely in our culture, if you look good and you do it well, you know, and the temperature in the room is right and everything lasts just as long as to keep my attention, God is at work, you know? Not necessarily. Very important. I, how do we, you know, what, in, in a way, you know, if I was talking about that passage, I would not just talk about, you know, what, are the, what is the fruit that we bear, but also how do you judge success? How do you judge success? We judge success very much by uh, how many people, uh, how it felt, what it looked like, you know, uh, and, uh, and all of that. But real success in the eyes of God is about changed lives. That's what real success uh, is. Not uh, in uh, the bells and whistles and the dog and pony show, as we like to say sometimes. Uh, and so this passage in Acts is one where we really need to think about it uh, and understand uh, you know, its ramifications. Okay, so now at the end of chapter 4, it's good, we're flying. You, you know, the spirit has been poured out People are being healed. People are being saved. Uh, the authorities cannot hold back uh, the word from going forth. We are just, it's like we're on this, we're riding the surf, you, you know? Uh, and now at the very end of chapter four, we are introduced to one of the great heroes, 
of uh, the book of Acts, uh, and that is Barnabas, right? So we read in the, at the very end of chapter 4, the, the uh, chapter, uh, you know, where the big five is in your Bible, it really uh, shouldn't be there because uh, what we read now at the end of chapter 4 is very much related to what's going on in chapter 5, all right? So it says, and um, uh, so, so to give a little context, going back to verse 34 of chapter 4. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as he had, uh, as he had need. Laying them at the apostles' feet is actually an important thing. It's almost like the, an altar of sorts. It's almost like uh, I hear, you know, it's like a gift, like bringing a sacrifice. And, uh, and you know, the apostles were uh, the authority. Uh, they were really representing and, uh, you know, the risen Messiah, Peter in particular. And so it's kind of an interesting optic, a kind of interesting visual that they would bring it, bring it and put it right at the feet of the apostles. Like this belongs no longer to me. I have a heart. Remember what it says at the beginning of this passage? We said it earlier today and really harped on it last time. They were of one heart and soul, worshiping the, they loved the Lord with all their heart and soul. And it reckoned back to the Shema, right? Uh, and it reckoned back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, where you have this tremendous uh, promise that God would circumcise the heart, right? And that they would then love God with all their heart and soul. Now here we see this is the manifestation of having a circumcised heart, loving God with all their heart and soul. Uh, and so they would sell property and they would give it uh, and, and lay it at the apostles' feet. You know, do with it as you will, uh, you know, for the sake of the kingdom of God uh, and, and so on. All right. And so now we see uh, uh, here, uh, let's see, uh, there we are, uh, in verse 36 now. Okay, so now we have an example of a person, and we're introduced to Barnabas. And Joseph, that was his real name, okay? And Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth. That's just interesting, interesting to know. He was a Levite, and he was from Cyprus, okay? Who was also ca called Barnabas by the apostles which translated means son of encouragement. So you can look far and wide, uh, and it's hard to figure out how you get son of encouragement. But that's what he was known by, okay? A bar, we can understand, son of, but uh, Nabas, I'm not, not quite sure there, but he was called the son of encouragement. Now Barnabas, is, uh, he's a great figure in, in the book of Acts. He's a great figure in, in Acts, Right? Uh, he's, uh, he's the one that took Paul under his wing, Saul of Tarsus, right, at the beginning. He's the one that takes him under his wing, and here he was, uh, you know, you know all about Saul before he was known as Paul, right? He was, people were afraid of him, you know, is he infiltrating, is this a ploy, what is it, right? But here he, he was uh, such a great encouragement to, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, to Paul. And so, you know, son of encouragement can mean just as who he was. 
because even as we'll see in today's uh, Torah study, that name is not always like, what are you called? Name is very much about who you are uh, and uh, very, very important. So uh, we know that about him. We also know that um, he and Paul got into no small disagreement, right? Which is a very interesting uh, thought there, right? And uh, Paul, who was uh, certainly uh, very much, he was a people person, but he was really a visionary and, uh, you know, and Paul really uh, understood the, um, you know, what they wanted to accomplish, right? Uh, and um, Barnabas, while Barnabas was all about knowing what they wanted to accomplish, he was a little bit more maybe of a, a little bit more pastoral, right? And we know that the thing they got into a disagreement about was taking John Mark with them again because he had disappointed Paul and Paul did not want to take him again. But Barnabas says, give him another shot, right? Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, Barnabas takes uh, John Mark with him and this is where Silas goes and now begins traveling with Paul. Uh, and so it's very interesting, this Barnabas, very much uh, a people person, concerned about, a discipler, uh, uh, you know, very personable in, uh, with, with the people. Not that Paul wasn't, uh, but this is, what, this is who Barnabas was, you know? Okay. Uh, and so what does he do? He evidently, you know, he was a person of means. It says he owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money, and again, laid it at the apostles' feet. It wasn't just, and brought it in, you know, brought it into the office or something, you know, laid it at the apostles' feet. This was like, it was like an act of worship, uh, uh, selling this property and bringing it uh, for all who might have need. Well, so far, so good, right? Don't we wish we were there? Whew. Okay, but, but a certain man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. So, you know, again, people evidently of, uh, of some means, right? But kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and to keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. And the young man arose and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter spoke, responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet, breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her, and they carried her out and buried her beside the, her husband. 
And great fear came upon the whole congregation and upon all who heard these words. All right. So we've all heard of Ananias and Sapphira and, and what happened. Uh, but let's try to understand why it's here. What is Luke trying to uh, help us uh, to understand? And what are some of the takeaways? Some are obvious and uh, some are not. First of all, I, when it says in verse, well, first verse one, Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. It's looking good, just like Barnabas, right? They sold a piece of property. Now, when it says they kept back some of the price, you know, for himself, I, evidently they had uh, made a commitment to uh, take the, the price of, of all of it what they got for it, and lay it at the apostles' feet, okay? Because the, the word is very interesting. The word kept back, kept back some of it, is a word that's only used a few times uh, in, in the Brit Hadashah, and I think once in the entire Septuagint. It's used, you know, in Titus, I think it's in the third chapter, where it says pilfering, not pilfering. That's the word. This, this, this is the word that's used, where it says kept back. So like stealing or, you know, in, in, a, in a sinister way, uh, holding back. Like you're not supposed to hold it back, but you're holding it back. And then, so interesting, where is the one place in the uh, Septuagint? Well, it's in Joshua chapter 7. And it is where Achan holds back, keeps back, I, you know, takes and keeps for himself what was supposed to be left under the ban, the cherem, the, 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 the ban, right? Isn't that interesting? And what happens to Achan? Him and his family, right? It looks like overkill a little bit, doesn't it? It's like, wow, him and his family, they all die. You know, why do they have to die, right? I, but it, you see, it's, it's, it's reminiscent uh, of Ananias and Sapphira. So it's interesting, you know, uh, and so they kept back some of the price. So this was not just, this was not simply a case of, well, oh, what a surprise. Here comes Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a piece of property and they're giving some of the money to the congregation. That's not what was happening. What was happening is they were under some, they had made some kind of voluntary commitment to give the whole thing, okay? And they were giving the impression that it was the whole thing. That outwardly, uh, they were demonstrating that, well, just like Barnabas and, and just like others, we've sold a piece of property and we're giving it all uh, uh, to, uh, you know, to the Lord. Okay? All right. Now, Peter here, very interesting, he has this discernment. He can tell that something is not right, right? Peter had, and this is how the early, this is what one of the things Luke is bringing out. Peter had an extraordinary uh, way about himself after, the, uh, after Pentecost, after the pouring out of the Ruach. He was an extraordinary apostle here in that the Lord, uh, Yeshua, was present through Peter in healing. Remember Peter says this? It's not me, it's Yeshua, Right? And so I would suggest here, even with this amazing discernment 
that uh, Peter has, what he is demonstrating, and what Luke is writing to show us, is Yeshua was there. He was in the community. He wasn't gone. Even though he's invisible, he was there. He was there. Okay? So Peter's, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart, Hasatan, uh, you know, of course it's not in Hebrew, but that's okay. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back some of the price of the land? Okay? So uh, Peter makes this, like, huge statement. Now we're going to see that this is not, that this is one way of saying uh, what it is. Okay? He says it three different ways, uh, actually. All right? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit to keep back some of the price of the land? So first what he does is he catches, you know, he catches him red-handed. All right? Uh, you know, you're not telling the truth, uh, Ananias. You're lying. Okay? Now, he's going to continue here. Uh, and he's going to say something very interesting. The two parts of verse 4. One of the things that Peter is communicating is, is that you're doing this of your own free will. No one has given some kind of order like everybody must sell their property uh, you know, and do this and that you felt compelled, you felt like uh, you were cornered and you had to sell the property uh, and, you, you know, uh, and so you were forced to do it and so you kept back some of it for yourself. Maybe you needed it or, or, or something. He says, well, you had the property. It was yours. You didn't have to sell it. It remained your own. And then he says, and after it was sold, was it not under your control? Like, you did not have to lie here. You did not even have to give it. But you're, but you're doing something here, underhanded. You're lying. And you know what? This is not about me, Peter is saying to him. You're not lying uh, 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 to me. You know, think of it. He's standing right in front of him. He put it at his feet. He lays it down. And then Peter says, why, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And then Peter says, you're not lying to me. You're lying to God. That's a great, uh, 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 just FYI, it's great. He says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. The Holy Spirit was not just an, you know, uh, an emanation or a feeling uh, or a force, Right? Uh, the Holy Spirit is indeed the very presence uh, of God in the community. Uh, and he says, you have lied to God. You lied to the Holy Spirit. Another way of saying that is you have lied to God. Okay? All right. So very important. The Holy Spirit is not just an emanation, but uh, is uh, part of the, uh, you know, the, the triunity of God. The Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. All right. Now, so now Ananias drops dead, right? I, there are questions, I suppose, you know, that we could ask, like, how come he didn't repent? Or how come he had to die? The text isn't answering that question, okay? But we see what happened, all right? So uh, Ananias uh, uh, dies. Uh, he lied uh, uh, to God. He portrayed himself uh, as something that he wasn't. Uh, his heart uh, evidently was not in the right place. 
uh, and uh, we'll, we'll understand more about that in a second. But the way this is written, it's, it's, it's like it's written twice. You have it written to, you have the part about Ananias, and now you have the part about Sapphira. Uh, and, and it's interesting because what Luke is doing uh, is he, he's going to repeat using other words and some of the same words his conversation with Ananias. And the reason that we have it uh, the way Luke wrote it is to really make the point about their freedom, about their sin, uh, about their heart attitude, uh, and about the reaction of people that hear it. Okay? All right. So uh, we see here, okay, so uh, uh, as it says in verse 5, and, he, uh, and as he heard these words, Ananias fell down, breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. Okay, so there's a reaction that we learn. People are like stunned, you know, fearful, like, wow, you know, because th- this is a miracle. You know, this, it's a miracle. Like healing people's a miracle. This was a miracle too. We could call this a judgment miracle. A miraculous thing happened. He, he dropped dead. Okay, this is a supernatural act of God in the midst of the community, demonstrating the very pre- the presence of, uh, of, of Yeshua, okay? Because he didn't only come to uncover eyes, uh, you know, and to help people to walk. He also came to bring purity. He also came, uh, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, to, bring, uh, yeah, to bring purity to uh, this uh, new uh, community. Uh, and to Israel, okay? But we're not done with this. Okay, so the young man rose, covered him up, carried him out, and they buried him. Now, three hours later, now Sapphira comes in. It's kind of a repeat performance here a little bit. But this time, Peter basically just asks, he questions her. She doesn't know that Ananias is deceased. And so he says, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. Now, this is a great place for me to say, you know, probably Peter did not say verbatim such and such a price. Okay, I don't know if you ever thought about that. Okay, so, uh, you know, here's a, here a, I'm interjecting something here. So, you know, this class coming up, this MSI class on the speeches and acts, that what we're going to learn is, is that these speeches didn't take like 90 seconds. You know what I mean? Uh, and so we're reading basically a summary of, like, Luke is telling us what happened, okay? He's telling us what happened. And you know how it is. It's like, if you're an eyewitness to an event, you tell it from a particular perspective in order to make a point. And that's what Luke is doing. So that's why you read, by the way, such and such a price. I'm sure he named the price, okay? All right, all right. So Peter responded, tell me whether you have sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. So here, she is lying, right to his face, right? But she's thinking, well, I'm just like, you know, we're like everybody else that, that loves the Lord. We're, we sold a piece of property and we're, we're giving it. And so we're, we're holding some back for ourselves because, well, evidently that was really important to Ananias and Sapphira. And also she is not an innocent at all because what did we read at the beginning? They were both in agreement. They, they uh, good husband and wife communication here. Okay, that uh, they uh, they talked about it. They agreed to do it. Uh, they conspired together to pull a fast one. 
over this community and the apostles. And after all, rationalize, 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 half a loaf is better than none, right? Well, we all think that way. That's not something, that, you know, it's easy to be armchair critics and, and uh, uh, you know, the Brich HaRasha the, the, uh, portion for today, judge not lest you be judged, uh, it was, is really appropriate because we do this kind of thing all the time. Okay. But yet we don't die. All right. Then Peter said to her, now he says the same thing again, you know, except he uses different terms. He doesn't say, why has, um, uh, you know, why has uh, Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Uh, and he doesn't say, you have not lied to men, but to God. He doesn't say those two things. He says uh, this a third way. He says, why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? So that's also a real eye-opener, as we'll see, okay? And then she dies, okay? Uh, and she is uh, brought out. Great fear, again, he says it again. Great fear comes upon the entire congregation and upon all who hear these things, okay? Very good. All right, so that's the story. So what does it all mean to us? Okay, what does it all mean to us? First of all, by observation, you know, it's, there's a number of similarities on a lot of levels between when, um, uh, when the Israelites receive the Torah and what happens, you know, when the, they as a nation enter into covenant uh, relationship. Great, miraculous things take place, great blessings but another thing happens that is like a real eye-opener uh, with the death involved, right? The two sons of Aaron, right? They dropped dead too. They, uh, they offered strange fire. Bam, down they go, right? Is it the norm? Does that happen all the time? No. Do, do people drop dead uh, uh, all the time uh, in the Brit Hadashah when, when they sin? No, but it happens here. And it happens here to demonstrate uh, in extreme form the blessings of the Brit Hadashah uh, and the judgment that can come uh, as well. You know, in fact, later on, uh, when Paul is giving instructions to uh, Timothy, for example, uh, you know, he recognizes you know, that there's going to be elements in the congregation uh, that are not right. Uh, there might be people who are pilfering. There might be people who are, in fact, that's exactly, you know, in Paul's uh, letter to Titus, he actually says that. But we don't see people dropping dead. What we see are people being rebuked, uh, you know, and, and being encouraged to repent uh, and, uh, and, and so on. So it's very important, uh, I think, that we understand that, that, that Luke is demonstrating and giving us uh, here, extraordinary things taking place at the beginning of the Brit Hadashah in order that we might respond in a particular way. In order that we might respond in a particular way. Okay? So maybe that's why Luke says two times that all who heard it feared. Maybe he's writing it so that the, the people who are reading it, all who hear about it, fear uh, and recognize the seriousness of being 
part of a, uh, a community of, of a Messiah followers and think that, uh, and portraying ourselves as something that we're not. We may think we're pulling a fast one. And we, we may think that, well, you, you know, it'll, it'll be all right. I'm, uh, you know, I'm saved by the blood of Yeshua, so it's all good, you know? Uh, we are lying to God. We are lying to God. That should make us sit up and say, you know, maybe I need to take a little spiritual inventory of my life. Maybe I ought to respond to this by saying, you know, am I, uh, you know, uh, Maybe I can do better. Maybe I, uh, maybe I need to repent. Maybe I need to confess my sins. And, you know, I, and, uh, and pray that the Lord would help me to uh, be more transparent and be more real. I, but clearly, there is a, a sense of awe and fear uh, as, a, um, as a response uh, uh, to this. Another thing that really comes uh, through here is that um, Ananias and Sapphira were responsible for their decisions. Sometimes, you know, that first phrase that Peter uses can throw us off. Uh, when he says here, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Sometimes we might say, well, you see, the devil made me do it. Satan made me do it. But notice what he's very clear to say right after that. He says, why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? He and his wife came up with this idea to skim, you know, a little off the top, uh, but no one who's going to know. You know, they'll think we're, we're giving it all to God, and we are giving a lot of it to God, but we're skimming some off the top to keep to ourselves. Uh, and so uh, Peter says, you have why have you conceived this in your heart? One of the things we have to ask ourselves here is, okay, so uh, they conceived it in their heart. Interesting phrase, conceived it in their heart. Earlier on in chapter 4, uh, what does Luke say? He says, the congregation of those who believed were one heart, were of one heart and soul. Well, clearly Ananias and Sapphira are an example of not being of one heart and soul. They had other, uh, you know, they had other, uh, other values. Uh, they were not quite there in being sold out uh, uh, for uh, the Lord, a phrase we like to throw around all the time, right? That uh, they were concerned about their finances. They were concerned about what was theirs to some degree, right? Uh, and, uh, and so when we, and it can be a million different things, uh, when we uh, really, you know how we read in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, Yeshua says, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God is a priority. You know how uh, Paul says to live as Messiah and to die as gain. These are superlative statements, you know. Uh, and, and what they're all saying in many different ways uh, is, is Yeshua first in our lives? And that seemed to be, generally speaking, how this congregation was functioning at the very beginning. Yeshua was clearly first, first and foremost, right? We see with Ananias and Sapphira 
Not only uh, was the Lord not completely first and foremost, as demonstrated here, but also they were concerned about their reputation, evidently. They were concerned about their selves. They were concerned about what, might, what people might think uh, uh, about them. Uh, in other words, they didn't really seem to have a heart uh, for the Lord, but for themselves. You know, another place in the Bible where you have something like this, but not exactly like it, is Saul, King Saul. Another good example. You know, don't you kind of feel it's a little overkill with Saul? You know, okay, he brought the offering. Next thing you know, the kingdom is stripped from him, you know, uh, and it's given to David, who has an affair, who causes someone to be murdered and killed, and yet God will never take away that kingdom from David, right? But Saul... Man, boom, he's gone. When you read the account of Saul carefully, you see, what does Saul do uh, after, you know, after this? He says, he says, Samuel, when we go back, don't let the people know. You know, don't let everybody know that all this is. He's concerned about himself. He's concerned. He's very insecure, Saul, uh, and concerned about himself and what people think of him. And, uh, you, you know, and, and so that's a great teaching, you know, the insecurities of Saul. But, in other words, David is the man who was after God's own heart. He confessed his sins, right? Yeah. But he was the man who was after God's own heart, not Saul. So here with Ananias and Sapphira, not really having uh, a heart uh, uh, for the Lord. And at the beginning, uh, we see that God uh, judges them, uh, and it serves for all of us as a warning of the need to always be checking our ourselves. They were holding back, sort of stealing from, uh, stealing from the Lord, right? Also, uh, when you compare, uh, when it says the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, that meant unity, you know? Not only sold out for the Lord, but they were one. They were one. What we see with the activity of Ananias and Sapphira, this does not lend itself to the unity this lends itself to disunity. This lends itself that we're not uh, one. I might be with you, but not really all the way with, with you. Okay? Another thing uh, that we learn in a very big uh, and important lesson here is that when Peter says, why, have, um, uh, why, ha why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? One of the things we see here, and this is, uh, I think, the first time we see this. So far, what we've seen is victory. We've seen victory that, you know, uh, healings, uh, the message goes forth, and, and so on. But here we see uh, that uh, uh, Satan, the enemy, right, loves to infiltrate and will find the weaknesses uh, that we have. Uh, uh, you know, in our own lives, and seek to exacerbate that, like stir it up, you know? Uh, this is why uh, this was their fault. This was not Satan's fault. This was their fault, right? But what the enemy loves to do is, is to exacerbate, you know, stir up uh, our, our weaknesses, and, and, and a good way to wreak havoc and cause division and you know, in problems. So one of the things we see here is uh, that, you, sh you see, Yeshua is alive and present, and 
and uh, the enemy will not have victory. The enemy will not have a victory in the body of Messiah when the body of Messiah is functioning uh, as it should. And so here, uh, uh, clearly, we see in the death of Ananias and Sapphira, the, the defeat of the enemy, the victory of Yeshua. Okay? All right. Uh, another thing that we learn here uh, is uh, the very interesting little phrase that um, Peter says to Sapphira that he does not say uh, to Ananias. And that is, why is it that you have, ag- you have agreed together to, to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? That's a very interesting phrase. So we see that in a couple of places in the Bible. One is in the Brit Chalashah. And when we talk about the victory of Yeshua over the enemy, can you think of a place in particular where Yeshua clearly had victory over the enemy when there was a temptation and Yeshua could have fallen to the temptation, but he doesn't? Yes, you got it. Yeshua in the wilderness. In Luke chapter 4, when Yeshua is beginning his ministry and he's out in the wilderness and Satan tries to tempt him, right? right? He's, he's tempting him with, you know, use your power. Show people who you really are. Be the king if you're the king. Jump off the pinnacle and, you know, and onto the ground. Let everybody know. Let everybody... And what does Yeshua do? He keeps quoting scripture, right? From Deuteronomy, by the way. He's quoting scripture. Quoting scripture defeats the enemy here. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Quoting scripture defeats the enemy, right? Truth wins, right? You tell yourself the truth and the enemy will indeed flee. Truth overcomes, light overcomes the darkness. You focus on on Yeshua and all who Yeshua is. That is the greatest uh, protector against uh, the wiles of the, of the devil. Very important. I mean, uh, obviously, quite clearly, in the life of Yeshua, uh, and here in Acts uh, chapter 5, uh, uh, the enemy, Satan, is very active, right? But we see uh, 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 that uh, there is victory. There is victory in the truth, right? In Peter, Yeshua defeats the enemy there. And here, very interestingly, in chapter 4, uh, if you go toward the, uh, the end of the passage, so uh, he, uh, he quotes uh, Deuteronomy, but notice uh, toward the end, right? It says in verse 9, And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you. Ooh, isn't that interesting how... Uh, the enemy uses the scriptures too to try to uh, twist, uh, twist things around, right? And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. See, I'm, I can quote scripture too, right? So, so of course, uh, we're not talking about twisting the scriptures, right? Uh, we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, proclaiming the scriptures in, in truthfulness, right? But notice how Yeshua responds, And Yeshua answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He says the same thing, basically, as what Peter 
says to Sapphira, why are you putting the Lord your God to the test? And that's the end. When the devil had finished every temptation, he departed uh, from him until an opportune time. So putting the Lord to the test. Now, where does that come from? You ready? It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Oh, that is the same place where the Shema is, right? So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, after the, the Shema, you know, after the Shema, you have this uh, uh, warning uh, here, beginning in verse 14. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord. Now, I, I'm not going to go all the, you know, back to uh, Exodus and what happened at Massah, other than to say that the people didn't trust God. When there was no water, they came out of Egypt, there's no water, they're complaining, they don't trust the Lord. They put him to the test. Is he really who he says he is? Can he really do what he does? Maybe we ought to look elsewhere. Maybe, you know, and, and here, here uh, Moses identifies putting the Lord to the test with not loving him alone. Uh, putting God to the test is having uh, other things besides the Lord that are really valuable to me. And it's under the, under the heading of worshiping other gods worshiping other gods. And so what is Peter saying to uh, Sapphira? Why are you worshiping other gods? Why are you putting the Lord to the test? You know? Uh, and, uh, and, and so uh, this is a, a, a great uh, word of, of uh, judgment. We are accountable to God. We do not get away with pulling a fast one. You can fool me, but you cannot fool God. So we need to ask ourselves, are we under the lordship of Yeshua? Are we under the lordship or kingship of Yeshua? Are we really living that way? Are we at least moving forward that way? Or do we live in this comfort zone uh, of half a loaf, you know, and that I make sure that on Shabbat, I say, praise the Lord all the time. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I uh, uh, portray myself as Mr. Bible or Miss Bible uh, when I only crack it open uh, between the hours of 10.30 and 12 on Shabbat? Uh, or uh, do I portray myself as someone who's a sold out for the Lord, I, uh, 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 but not really keeping my commitments of what I uh, say to God and what I say to others? Uh, very important. Uh, and isn't it interesting that the pocketbook always seems to be the place, right? Like the barometer of my walk with God is somehow related to my checkbook, right? God knows our vulnerabilities. He knows that we are uh, very concerned about making sure that, you know, we have what's ours, we need to remember that if, if it all belongs to God, our attitude needs to be that we get to keep some of it. You know, it's a, uh, this level of stewardship is very, very important. It belongs to God, but I get to keep some of it. Now, remember, this was a voluntary thing going on here in Acts uh, uh, 5, right? 
But if we make a commitment, we need to keep the commitment. And we need to know in our heart where it's the, where really where the action is here. We need to know in our heart that we're being honest with God, we're being honest with ourselves, and honest with our brothers and sisters in the Messiah for our walk with Him. It's not just about, our stewardship is about everything. It's like the economy of life, you know, how we run the household, so to speak, right? Uh, and how important is that? So this is a, a great uh, lesson for us. We are really accountable to God, and by the grace of God, we don't die. He allows us to repent. We can uh, confess our sins, and he indeed will uh, forgive us and cleanse us. And hopefully we're in the process of sanctification and drawing closer to the Lord all the time. But this is a great reminder to us. Uh, and we need to ask, am I testing God? Am I concerned not just for myself? Am I concerned for the community? Am I concerned uh, to be able to share what I have uh, with others? Or do I pretend that I'm concerned uh, and I kind of share uh, what I have with others? But the main thing here is, the takeaway here isn't to come and say, well, does that mean that I'm supposed to sell my house? No, it's being honest. It's about honesty and it's about integrity. It's about being honest with God and ourselves and with uh, our community. And what is any relationship? Don't we have to be honest with one another? They were not honest. That does not lend itself to unity of being of one heart and soul. And so how important it is for us to be honest to God and to ourselves and to our community because God knows. God knows that secret thing about He knows it. He knows that thing, okay? Now, it doesn't mean that you have to share that thing from the housetops. That might not be wise, right? But very important not to portray ourselves as something that we're not, you know? Uh, and uh, and may uh, we not uh, be harboring, uh, uh, whether it be attitudes uh, or values about uh, possessions or uh, just our rugged individualism, uh, that the most important person is me, God and me, and not God and us. We need to ask ourselves, this passage is about that. Ask ourselves, where am I with the Lord? And then uh, uh, re repent. It's amazing that the Lord was protecting the congregation. The presence of the Ruach brought protection and purity to the, to the community, you know? Uh, and God will do that. Uh, he will uh, protect us. Uh, and uh, he will preserve us. And where there is sin, it needs to be uh, dealt with. It needs to be repented of. It needs to be rooted out. Don't we see that when Paul is talking to the Corinthians? You know, you haven't done anything about this guy who's having a relationship with his mother-in-law, right? Uh, this is serious business. Very important that we're not lackadaisical uh, in our walk with God and that we have a healthy awe of, of, the, uh, of the Lord, right? Very important. You know, where our treasure is, that's where our heart is, right? That's also in Luke. <laughs> where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. So we need to ask ourselves, where indeed is our, uh, where, our where is our the treasure, right? Uh, and so may this passage remind us 
just lastly, that, hey, I guess even the, the first congregation in Jerusalem uh, was not perfect, that there were people there that, uh, you know, were, were not right with the Lord. Now, here they, they died, but I'm going to suggest not everybody died, right? There were others who didn't die, because if this happened to everybody, there'd be nobody left in the congregation, all right? Very important to, to appreciate that. And so, isn't it amazing when we think about the grace of God? and the mercy of God, that we, we sin, we, we do all kinds of things, but he doesn't kill us. He allows us to run to him and to repent, you know, and to turn our lives to him again and again and again and again, right? But a passage like this reminds us that God will always win over the enemy, that in the death and resurrection and ascension of Yeshua, the enemy has been defeated. And while the enemy might try to, you know, infiltrate in varieties of ways, when a congregation is serious about its walk with God, those things will be found out, and, uh, and God will indeed preserve. Why? Because Yeshua is here in our midst right now. And so uh, may we uh, take this uh, message uh, and may it make a difference in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we pray, God, that just like uh, Luke says about all the people that, that, that uh, were aware of this, that they feared, Lord, may we have a healthy fear, Lord. May we not take you for granted, uh, Lord. May we not assume because nothing seems to be happening, everything must be okay. But Lord, may we realize that you see us, you see everything about us, not just our pocketbooks, but where we go, what we do, how we speak, uh, how we're entertained, what we do when no one's around. You see it all, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, that we would just think about that and pray about that and confess about that. And uh, Lord, uh, may we uh, be restored to you. And what a great promise you give us that when we confess our sins, you are righteous and just, but not to kill us, but to forgive us and to cleanse us so that we can just keep on going with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. For in certain respects, we're all Ananias and Sapphira. We're all, we all have moments. We all, Lord, are striving to, uh, uh, you know, give more of ourselves to you. And Lord, thank you that in Messiah, our heart is circumcised and we can love you with all of our heart and our soul. And as it says in the Shema, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that we would love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our might, which means every bit of us. May we love you, Lord, with what we own. May we love you with our time. May we love you at our jobs. May we love you in our leisure time. May we love you in every relationship uh, that we have uh, uh, in, our, in our whole life, Lord. And Lord, thank you that what you really want from us, God, is not so much the check, but you want the writer of the check, Lord. It's not so much uh, uh, about amounts and what it looks like, but it's about the heart. So, Lord, may we love you with every ounce of our being and may that love manifest itself by the way we conduct our, 
our lives. And may we be real and true and transparent, Lord. Uh, and may we truly, therefore, be uh, the kind of uh, a community, Lord, uh, that's described there in uh, the early chapters of Acts. We thank you, Lord, and we pray in Messiah's name.